Satomi had been a smuggler for the better part of a decade, and she'd been a fairly good one at that. Of the customs enforcers, she had dodged the laughably incompetent ones, which was the vast majority of them, and she had bribed the rest. It had been a relatively easy life, not only because she was reasonably good at it, but also because she hadn't been smuggling anything particularly precious. Mostly it had been food or the mismatched guns that were brought in one or two at a time for defending farms and monasteries or the sort of garden-variety luxuries that people in remote places craved. Tobacco, liquor, sometimes books. Those who smuggled gemstones or precious metals, or ran information in the heavily cloaked ships that slipped along the edges of gravity wells. They could have their profits, as far as Satomi was concerned. She'd never been greedy enough to want to increase her profits that far, and as a consequence, she had not had to spend those years looking over her shoulder. Then she had left that life for this one, and as her new reputation had grown, so had the sense that told her when she was being followed. She had become very good at listening to the subtle signs her body gave her. The tensed shoulders, the feeling of too much space behind the nape of her neck. She had learned a soldier's respect for instinct. What was instinct, after all, except things the conscious mind hadn't processed yet? Right now, she was being followed. More than that, she was being hunted. She had sensed it last night as she left a contact's office, and this morning, in the semi-darkness as she hurried toward the city center. She hated New Arizona. Osiris was miserable, yes, its towers gray, its citizens beaten down. Even those who ruled the neighborhoods of Osiris lived squalid, brutal, and above all, short lives. New Arizona was worse, though. Above the grimy alleyways and run-down towers, where the poorer citizens lived, there were glittering skyscrapers and elegantly paved streets. The city existed in a permanent state of winter, and it was always adorned in glittering lights. Seneca had its politicians, its business owners who operated enough above board to attend state functions. And New Arizona had the richest of human-occupied space. Nowhere was more stylish. Nowhere else was more opulent. And nowhere else reminded Satomi so viscerally of the woman she had been in her past life. Uncaring, closing her eyes to suffering, telling herself that the world lifted some up and cast others down, and it was neither her fault nor her responsibility to help. She hated the reminder, and so she hated coming here. The problem, of course, was that New Arizona was where the most successful weapons dealers did business, and so it was where hopeful arms manufacturers brought weapons to be shown and sold. There were always scrap orders, a few here or there that couldn't fit in any cargo hold. It was from this that she would build the shipment for Emir's resistance. They would be plain, unassuming weapons, a sort that were easy to run and easy to fix, some of them even made with parts that could be swapped across manufacturers. They would all take the same ammo, and it would be cheap. They weren't top of the line, but then neither were Emir's resistance fighters. A little more or less accuracy wouldn't be what doomed them. She was thinking like a defeatist again. Satomi shook her head as if to clear it. She always started to think like this when she came here. She started to think she had a target on her back and her jobs were useless. She clenched her hands and squared her shoulders. She was giving them a fighting chance. That was what was important. Well, that and breakfast. And some coffee since she was planet-side. It would be expensive, but she always had it when she could. Something about space travel ruined the taste. And then she came around the corner and saw the woman waiting for her. And she felt the bottom drop out of her stomach. The deserted alleyway, the easy way the woman lounged as she waited, 
and the utter lack of surprise to see Satomi arrive at that very moment. It all meant one thing. She was going to die. It was festival season for the farming planets that made up most of the sector, and Akintola Station was redolent with a sense of moon cakes, spiced tea, and some sort of licorice-flavored alcohol that always made Lazadi's eyes water. Above-board cargo ships and smugglers alike stopped at Akintola to refuel before their last push to bring festival supplies to outer colonies, and they offered some of their goods to the station dwellers, who had learned a taste for the foods, if not the religious customs. Stalls popped up along the main boulevards, and even in the tram cars. The mood of the station noticeably lifted in this season, and Lazadi was glad of it, especially this year. It had been a grim few days. There was someone in Alliance Intelligence, someone placed high enough to be manipulating the flow of information. Someone they should have caught by now, in Lazadi's opinion. What use was it to be an organization of spies and be able to notice one yourself? Perhaps if she had taken the job in intelligence all those years past, they wouldn't have this problem now. Or perhaps she would be dead in a ditch, or a useless bureaucrat, or worse. She had always hated the little death of chaining herself to a salary, with her talents reduced to a set number of hours per week, and subject to arcane protocols that had usually been devised for other situations. She was much happier here, in her little apartment, with her own clients and her own business. But something about this case was weighing heavy on her heart. She ran her fingertips over the little mokrotlo hat that dangled from her necklace, tried to remember the herb gardens her grandfather had tended on Cryus. She had loved those gardens more than anywhere else, with a jumble of scents, sweet and sharp and bitter and sour, and his low voice telling her about the roots in the earth, his stained fingers bruising the leaves for her to smell each herb in turn. Perhaps, when this case was over, she would go back. Best not. Whoever owned the land now had likely let the gardens go to seed and her grandfather wasn't there to hug her and make her a cup of tea in any case. Home was a place lost to time, not just on a faraway planet. She made her way down the empty corridor, stopping once to look around herself. Seeing no one, she unlocked the door and hung her purse and coat carefully on the back of the door. No excuse for bad manners, Lizady. Her lips curved at the memory of her older sister's voice. Again, she looked up and around, and again she heard no one and saw no one. She shook her head and pressed a button on her bracelet to release a tiny metal ornament that she pressed into the carved front of one of the drawers. It stuck, and she frowned, pressed again. There was a click. The drawer slid open, and Lizadie found herself staring down at the blinking red lights of a tiny and exquisitely made bomb. Fire ripped through the metal and plastic flooring of Akintola Station's main garden level. Several tables at one of the more popular cafes were gone in an instant. Smoke billowed from the hole in the flooring, and there was an ominous creak as flooring tiles toppled back into place and sagged, their support struts broken. And that was three levels up from the information broker's office. Apollo gave a cold smile, finished his coffee, and left the cafe. He wove between people running to see what the problem was, listening to the music of alarms and screaming, and a few quarters away, he pulled out a comm unit and hooked it into the station's main grid to hijack their FTL communications array. Yes? Julian's voice was impatient. It's done. Apollo couldn't keep from smiling. And I think this time I'm going to require more payment. The payment we discussed is... I think 
A great deal of people would be interested to know about the warlord's place in intelligence. Don't you? There was a long silence, and Apollo raised an eyebrow in irritation. Have I not made myself perfectly clear? Julian's voice was cold. I've transferred money. It should be sufficient. He hung up the call without any further words, and Apollo smiled to himself. Julian really couldn't deny him anything, not with what he knew. He was going to begin to make use of that now. Criminals, especially those who dabbled in the darker and more dangerous sides of the underworld, should never be surprised when someone came for their lives. Justice, true justice meted out by those who valued order and safety, was all too rare, but those who started violence could expect to be consumed by it. None of them slipped into it unknowingly, and so none of them should be surprised. Yet, in Tara's experience, they invariably were. She had seen slave traders, their holds filled with captives, who stared at her in disbelief when she came to take their lives. She'd seen politicians who had sold their constituents into danger, who had taken bribes and ordered their rivals killed, who believed they were above any law, human or natural. All of her missions had been different. She was good, very good, at tailoring her strategies to the patterns of those she hunted. But there was one thing she remembered from every one of them, the moment of shock when they realized they were going to die, which was notably absent from Satomi Kruger. The woman stopped dead in her tracks, and there was no surprise at all. There was only acceptance. And it was that that stayed Tara's hand. By rights, she should have ended Satomi's life then and there with a single shot. Heroics and close-fought battles were for the foolish. An assassin should never give someone the chance to run away and continue their evil. But too many of those who worked for the Alliance played by outmoded notions of civility. They thought it was too unfair to kill someone without ever giving them a chance to fight back. Tara wondered what those people would say to the innocent bystanders whose lives were ruined when evil men and women were set free to continue their work. Now, her hand clenched around the grip of her rifle, more accurate, always, than a pistol, and for the first time she could remember, she wavered. What was it about this resigned acceptance that was making her doubt? This was the very thing she had always thought criminals should have. You know I am here, she said finally voice sounded almost rusty to her own ears. She never spoke to her marks. Never. They screamed at her to tell her who'd sent her. They taunted her. They called her names. And she never responded to their words. Of course, Kruger said. She gave a smile that faltered a bit too obviously. I expected it since I took this job. You shouldn't have taken it. Tara's eyes traced over the woman's face. The hook nose, the deep brown eyes the brown-black hair in a rough braid. Her clothes were in good order, as were her weapons, though they weren't fancy. Tara liked that about her, though. She thought of Apollo's useless gold armor, his complicated weapons that often failed him. Kruger was, in many ways, Apollo's opposite, including the fact that Apollo, whatever she thought of him, did jobs for the Alliance, and Satomi Kruger apparently aided one of the worst humans who had ever lived. Tara raised the gun and laid her finger on the trigger. If I can ask, Kruger's eyes were sad, why did you take this job? Tara stared down the sights of the rifle. Kill her. Kill her now. I know why I took jobs like yours in the past. Kruger was clearly stalling for time, wasn't she? But her eyes were almost impossible to look away from. I thought the world was too big for me to change. 
None of this made sense. Tara wanted to lower the weapon and run, redo the research, re-verify what had been passed to intelligence. And she wanted, too, to put a bullet in Kruger and end this conversation. The deadlock kept the gun up, but shaking. Her finger was off the trigger now. Who do you think you work for? Tara asked her. People whose names no one will ever know, Kruger said with a terrible finality. People who are doomed. She thought, no mercy. A woman this easily misled should be taken out of the game before she could hurt more people. And Tara could not afford to miss this target, let the warlord have his weapons, and prove to her father once and for all that she was too easily swayed to false mercy. And yet, go. Her voice didn't even sound like hers. What? Kruger's brow furrowed. Go. Don't finish this deal. Call it off, make it not happen, and then disappear. Disappear so well I can't find you, because if I do, I will kill not only you, I will personally kill every one of your associates. And I bet some of them were misled as well. You have one day to stop this deal in its tracks, or you will have aided a massacre, and I will kill you for your part in it. There will be nowhere you can run. What are you- I will kill you. I will kill your crew. I will kill anyone who is still involved in this deal by the end of today. Do you understand me? But you can't- Don't push me. Tara felt the gun jerk slightly in her hands. What the hell was she doing? She gestured down the street, back the way the woman had come. Go, undo what you've done, and disappear. I don't give second chances. Don't make me regret this one. You have no idea how much I could make you regret it. Sotomi turned and ran, and Tara looked around herself almost superstitiously. There were no cameras and no bystanders. She had chosen this place for that very reason, as she always did. And yet she was afraid that there might be some. Because she was about to lie to the one person she loved in this world. She pulled out a comm unit and typed a brief message, her fingers shaking. Kruger dead, pursuing associates. When it was sent, she sagged against a wall and felt tears on her cheeks. What had happened to her? What she just let walk free? Had she been played? She looked down at her hands, knowing the tracery of metal that lay beneath the brown skin. She made a promise to herself. She would find the person who had misled Kruger, and she would kill them instead. Only then would she tell her father what she had done. Ugh, Apollo. I have to say, I'm with Tara on this one. Apollo is unapologetically slimy. He's all hopped up on his own importance. He has no concerns about taking out innocence when he does jobs. And unfortunately, it was Apollo who was sent after Lizadie. Not Tara, who, as we now know, might have been talked down. And let's talk about that. Tara is not a pacifist by any means. She doesn't have a lot of the moral hang-ups, for lack of a better word, that most people have. Like with Talon, I wrote Tara to be a character who has a very different moral code than I do, in many ways. Tara is absolutely willing to kill for her convictions, and she does not feel guilty about it. Guilty? No. But she's starting to feel conflicted. We saw her argue with her father about the justification for killing people ancillary to her target, but this is new. This time she's making the choice not to complete her mission. And to lie to him. And the ripples from that choice 
are going to go out for quite a long way. Until next week.